My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 720. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, we're going to share a few hot takes. We're going to talk about Kathy's Zen Parenting Moment which talks about letting go of the past and remembering the past. No, it's about life patterns. That's what I meant, life patterns. <laughs> life patterns is what I meant. I'm like, it has a good title. Yes. Um, and But first, I just want to play this, even though nobody's going to recognize it other than you. You okay. ready, sweetie? I'm ready, I'm ready. What's the tune they like the best? What's the tune they like the best? When the jive becomes deluxe. When the ba ba da ba da. What's the number one request? Seven twenty in the books. Um, when the band begins to play. I, just, I have a hard time turning it off. I don't. Um, this is a song called Seven Twenty in the Books by a guy named Jan Savitt. Not enough male Jans out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it is. Uh, World War II time. I don't even know. Forties. Forties. And the reason I'm playing is because this is podcast number seven twenty in the books. We when we're done recording, seven twenty is going to be in the books. Nice. And um, I stumbled across the song with my daughter Skylar, and we're like, it's kind of a catchy little forties little ditty. It sure is. And I have since annoyed my entire family by playing it and overplaying it. Whenever It's hard for me to be in a bad mood when 720 in the books is going on. There's a part of the song where he says, be like a kangaroo. Yeah, that's right. Not a lot of songs telling us to be like a kangaroo. No, there's not. There should be more. Or the fishes in the brooks. Or the fishes in the brooks. Everybody's jumping too. 720 in the books. It's just an outstanding song. Well, and the weird thing is, is if you look it up on YouTube, if it's 720 in the book, it's yeah. one thing. But if it's 720 in the books, yeah. it's another 720 thing. 720 in the books has lyrics. 720 in the book, it's just instrumental. Isn't that weird? It is weird. So anyways, I'm going to pivot, pivot. over to... Um, Kathy's Zen Parenting Moment. But first, I got to play the opening line to that. And it's this. Can I handle the seasons of my life? It's a different version. Maybe a live version? Mm-hmm. No, I don't know. So the next line is what you start well, with. goodness came from the breakup of Stevie and Lindsay. Yeah. And this song is one of those good things. What I mean is like, I feel like they have so many deep songs and they were really just about each other, Mm -hmm. but we've like taken these songs and they've become like just such a big part of our lives. Like Landslide, the chicks did Landslide. Billy Corgan did Landslide. Like so many people have done, redone that song. Quite influential. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like we can do, there's so many parts of that song that I don't, I mean, I think I know what it's about, but I don't know 
what it's all about. Well, like I said, when it was written, it was about Stevie and Lindsay breaking yeah. up, you know? Got it. Um, but time, time makes you bolder, even children get older. What's that got to do with Stevie and Lindsay? They're both grownups. Well, when they got together, they were very young. Oh, mm-hmm. yep. all right. And so that's what I mean is I think every song, the reason that artists, I think, typically don't like to talk about all the every intention behind their song is they like people to take it for themselves and make it meaningful. And if you basically tell someone this is what it's about and here's all the details, it can be harder to make it applicable to your own life. I think, you know, directors with their movies talk about that too, how there'll be an ending that's everyone's trying to decipher. And the director's like, I'm not going to tell you what I thought Mm -hmm. because whatever you think is what it is. Right. Um, so is there any, so I thought of using your Zen parenting moment as a vehicle of discussion, at least for the first part of this podcast, you have a line in there that says, well, before you get to that, can I just explain life patterns and what I meant? And I don't even know, it's such a general way to talk about it, but I was just thinking about how we, we literally just do what we know, right? So unless you're like really hyper conscious every minute, we're kind of just moving through life on autopilot. You know, it's like, this is what I do in the morning. This is what people do. This is what I eat. This is what I say. And those things are patterns that we've developed in our life, um, you know, starting in childhood and things that became normalized, that were normalized in culture, things that are a result of our trauma, things that are a result of our positive experiences. Um, And we just kind of develop this way of being in the world where we're like, this is how you do it. And the, you know, the whole idea of any kind of self-awareness or mindfulness or just, you know, the ability to have some kind of growth in your life is the ability to look at your patterns and what is helpful to us. What are the patterns that have really helped us get through life? And then what are the patterns that maybe initially helped us get through life? Because we obviously developed the pattern for a reason, but now is not helpful. And I think that what I was really talking about is not only focusing on us questioning our patterns, but in the second paragraph, I talk about how just because you are questioning your patterns doesn't mean everybody in your life is questioning your patterns. Wouldn't it be easier if other people uh, question their patterns at the exact same time we're questioning our patterns? Yes. And and sometimes when I'm in the process of questioning patterns, because we do this our whole life, right? It's not like you one time look at your life and say, oh, I'm going to question these patterns and I'm never going to do this again. There's like a there's all sorts of different patterns and some of them are layered and, you know, they're multidimensional. So we continue to do this our whole life. But sometimes I have been so sure of like, how can someone see things this way? Cause I'm doing all this work and how do they not understand? And they don't mm-hmm. <laughs> like the, I'm really, what I'm doing is I'm messing up the dance with someone like where we have developed a dance it would be someone, a, a you know, a good friend or you or my children or someone in the workplace. And I'm realizing that my patterns don't work anymore. So I'm showing up differently. And the other person's like, wait a second, we already have this dance that we do. Why are you changing? That's a danger um, on any long uh, weekends. I'm guessing this happens whenever you've been on like retreat weekends with women. When I, we do a whole piece at the end of a men living weekend saying, listen, you're going to go home yeah. with different awarenesses, with different emotional vulnerabilities. And you're going to, sometimes guys assume that 
either something awful happened, like they'll try to fix their partner and help them understand how enlightened they have now they become. have now become, which is just a terrible idea. Um, or you're you just they choose to interact differently as a result. And the person that left for the weekend was one person. Now you're coming back with these different tools or different energy, and it really throws the partner off. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a very uh, tricky thing, and that's a, just a very obvious example of when that can happen. Well, and, you know, in those kind of situations where you have, um, you know, you go away for a weekend and you learn things and you have ahas, I consider that an intellectual awareness that you had. Like maybe you had a deep body, like a somatic response, like, wow, this is something I know, or now now I'm feeling more um, rejuvenated, or someone gave me information that I've been, you know, trying to access forever. It's, it's, I'm not saying it's only in the mind, you know, you may be having a body experience, but you haven't practiced this new understanding in the real world. Correct. What I mean is that there is this um, research and it's got a title and I can't think of it. Um, you may be able to find it, but it's basically that the less you know about something, the more you talk about how much you know about it. Mm, interesting. <laughs> you know, someone will... Just enough to be dangerous, that yeah. type of thing. Well, people tend to like to teach things. Mm. I'm raising my hand, by the way. Uh-huh. That they don't fully understand or yet embody. Another example would be like you read a book, a good self-help book, and you think of all the other people that, that need, need to, to hear this mm-hmm. instead of me taking ownership over what I'm learning in this book and putting it into practice without telling anybody how self-aware I am as a result of reading this book. And actually, it literally is research, Todd, like I've heard Adam Grant talk about it. I've heard it's this basically it's somebody who reads one article about something thinks they know more than the person who has studied it their whole lives. And that's because the more you study something, the more layered and the more um, complex and the more paradoxical it becomes. Because when you really dive into something, you realize that there are no simple answers. But somebody who reads an article tends to think there's simple answers Mm -hmm. because they're basically going off of whatever the writer of that article said. You know, I'm seeing that a lot in Congress right now. You know, people who are like, well, I read this thing. And so you're this and you're and it's like, you don't have the full scope of what this thing is. So you're, so I consider that very similar to people who go to a conference or who read a book and they have new information, which is cool. Like there's nothing wrong with that. That's actually great. But what you have to do is then go out in life and try and practice it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you can't share it. I mean, it's like, you know, when I have an aha, I love to share it with you, but I don't find myself to be now the expert on this topic. Sure. Like, and I also think if I'm thinking about everybody else who needs to read this book, then I'm probably the one who needs it the most. Boom. Um, so it's a, so basically when we are learning something, if we then look down on other people or we're disparaging or disregarding of other people who aren't doing the exact same work we are, then we've already missed the point of the work. Well, and it's subtle and nuanced, like in relationship, um, and this comes up a lot. Like, mm-hmm. I think we've even done a podcast called, how do I get my partner to dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Um, and I can under- empathize with the yeah. people who are like, no, I'm trying, at least I'm trying. So how do I get him to try or yeah. how do I get her to try? So it's not a judgment. It's just a recognition that sometimes this happens when we're like, no, no, I'm trying this new trick or I'm trying to 
knew this, do this different version of myself, but how am I supposed to do that if he or she is not going to meet me halfway? Well, and it's interesting because, you know, you and I have seen the full spectrum. We've seen people who have come home with new ideas and their partners really open to Mm -hmm. it. And then we've seen people who have come home with ideas and they're trying to role model a new way and their partner's kind of annoyed, but kind of like, okay. And then we've seen the other extreme where people are like, trying things that are new at home and the partner's so annoyed Mm -hmm. and is like, stop it and quit telling me who to be. And so there's so many different scenarios in here. But I think that the, um, what we have to remember is that the whole practice of learning something is not about changing other people. It's about how we're responding in those real time situations, and I'm speaking so generally, but like for example, if you just spent, if you just read a book about empathy, or you just realize something about the way you think, or that you know your neurobiology or whatever, when you are in a conversation with someone, that's not the time to teach them about neurobiology. Use what you learned about empathy and neurobiology in that conversation. How will you relate to this experience differently? And through that this person that you're talking to may be interested in what you're doing and may ask you questions and they may even say, hey, that felt different or that conversation we didn't get so heated, what changed? And you can share, but the whole idea of learning something new is for you to practice it. Yeah, not not for you to teach it, to practice it. And let me be clear, you could do that all day long and you may be with a partner or a friend or someone who will never, you'll actually realize this is never going to work. Like you practicing it doesn't determine success all the time. It just gives you a greater awareness um, and sometimes gives you more clarity. And if you're doing it to change the other person, you're probably not doing it for the right reason. Exactly. I mean, and you know, I get it. I, I sometimes, I mean, you know, Todd, we've been together so long now, but there have definitely been things I've learned where I've been like, I can't wait to teach this to Todd so he can change this behavior or whatever. But the... The trick is to catch yourself. It's normal for us to want to have that thought. Right. The trick is, can we catch ourselves being like, oh, actually, maybe this isn't about teaching Todd, but maybe it's me integrating this a little bit more before I even bring it up to Todd. Yeah. I actually, to pull this all together, one of my life patterns is learning something and then wanting to teach it. Mm -hmm. And I, um, and I still am like that. I learn something new, but I I really don't read one article. I'm, I'm, I tend to deep dive into things. That doesn't mean I'm the best teacher of it. It just means that you're not taking shortcuts. I'm not taking shortcuts around. Like I'm, if I'm going to venture into something, I'm going to listen to every podcast about it. I'm going to listen to everybody who's talking about it, both sides of the story. Um, and then I do like to teach it, but then, then sometimes I meet p- people who've experienced it in a different way. And I'm like, okay, scratch everything that I've learned. Cause now I have to open up this new, you know, awareness around it and, and well, what it means. And when I'm on my, when I'm on my game, cause there's, you know, I would be lying if I didn't say that there's, you know, as human beings, we tend to judge and there's like, let's say I meet a 28 year old guy mm-hmm. who's just about to get married. Like there's this part of me like, okay, this dude has a lot to learn. A lot to learn. I've yep. had three kids. I've been married. And uh, I think when I'm on my game, I can be a conver- be in conversation with this guy and say, what can I learn from this kid? Mm. And that's rare. Like, mm-hmm. honestly, I'm like, no, I know more than this kid. I've been through it more. Even like, you know, not, I'm not in therapy right now, but if and when I find my next therapist, I, I want to make sure that he or she is older than me. It's just this weird feeling I get like it's hard for me to learn somebody learn from somebody who's been on this planet less than me Mm. and it's it's a it's an unfair criticism but it's just my honest 
assessment of how I would best learn. Right. And, and I would, and it's, you know, when I'm going to push back on this, but you know that I have felt similarly with yeah. people I've worked with, especially as a therapist myself, I've always wanted someone older than me. And that's just been a thing. But I also have realized that a lot of my teachers right now are much younger than me. And that's like authors that I listen to. And, and does it like, it's interesting because it just all depends on what we're talking about. Like when I am, you know, reading new parenting books and these parents have very, very young kids, um, a lot of the things they talk about, if it's in terms of self-care or whatever, they're not wrong. There's nothing wrong with what they're saying. But there's a lot that they don't understand yet about having older kids, about going through experiences, about just like a 20-year-old can't understand what it's like to be a 50-year-old. You haven't gone through these things. So it's not about that someone's right and someone's wrong. I mean, I was writing parenting books when I was 30, 35. And I'm sure people the age that I am now, I'm 50, I'm going to be 52 this week. Yes, sweet. Um, that they were like, you know, just there's so much more, you know, there's so much more. So it's just about where you are in your life. If But there are like I think about a lot of the teachers like that we, a lot of the podcasters we listen to, Todd, and they're younger than us. Yeah, what I hear that. And I guess what for me and I think you and I are similar in this, I um, value experience uh-huh. over, I don't know over anything else. The newest framework? The newest framework. Like, if you've been through this, and there's plenty of 15-year-olds that have been through more than I have. Sure. Right? Or different things. Different things. Mm -hmm. Or or more traumatic things. Sure. Like, somebody's, somebody's a trauma survivor. Like, I've never been physically traumatized or anything like that. There's much younger people that have experienced a lot more than I have that I... And then, you know, those people that come out clean on the other side, like okay, I can listen to that person. Like somebody who's changed this trauma and transformed it from this thing that happened to them and instead using it to teach others to help cope, like I can learn from that person. But it's because they've gone through it. As gone opposed through something. To, as opposed to reading somebody else's words right. and then coming up with your own words Theories. as a result of reading somebody else's words. And so anyway. Yeah, and that's the thing is that I think... You know, to to write about something or to have a perspective on something, you don't have to have a lot of awful things happen to you. It's no. really not like that. But I think I'm going to go back to what we were talking about with life patterns. Are you someone that writes about things because you've read other people's work and you're like, yeah, this is cool and I'm going to like regurgitate mm-hmm. all these things? Or have you put things into practice in your life and you have... I kind of, you know, I always talk about it is it's, I can, you can tell if someone's run something through their own body mm. because the way they write about it or talk about it is from a very personal perspective. There's like a, I tried this and then here's kind of what happened or what I realized is when I do this, this is what happened versus when you don't feel calm, just take some breaths. It's like, okay, but what is that like for you? And everybody kind of has a different response to that. And, and it doesn't mean we have to relate to everybody's experience. It just means I can tell when people are pushing, and we were just talking about frameworks before, pushing frameworks versus sharing a perspective because they've run something through their own body or in their own life. And sometimes that's traumatic things. Sometimes that's here's how I dealt with these awful things. And sometimes it's just everyday experiences of 
Like, here's how I see the world. So we're going to get that opportunity to do that in one second. Okay. Um, and we're going to continue the conversation. But first, I just want to mention Team Zen. I want to say hi to our newest Team Zen member, Carol, from Forest Park. Uh, Team Zen, it's an app on your phone where everything is organized in one place. It's 25 bucks a month. So, some of the many things you have access to are Kathy's Women's Circle. We send out swag. We have these micro communities. We've done 170 Zen Talks. And a Zen Talk is a live talk with us. On Zoom. And then we post it. It comes out as a podcast to everybody for Team Zen. Like Todd said, the app just has everything we do in mm-hmm. one place, plus the community. And the other invitation is Kathy has an amazing book called Zen Parenting. And in the show notes of this link, and this is specifically to anybody who's read Kathy's book, Please give it a review, oh, and you. there is a hyperlink in the show notes at the very top of this podcast. Just click on that and give your Amazon review because that helps more people find Kathy's book. It does. I just got a re- I just got an interesting review uh, a couple weeks ago. Really? I think it wasn't like a five star review. Um, they were. It, it was just interesting. I I. Um, I five stars are very helpful. Like I kind of feel like if you don't if you don't. If you don't want to give a five star review, then just was it don't from do it. Antonia, sweetie, I think so. You mean to read yeah. it or no? No, okay. no, I don't. I just she gave you three out of five. Yeah, so it's like sometimes they're very interesting, and so part it, it's kind of sucks because there's this. Let me just tell the truth about it. There's this marketing component that I do like people's feedback, uh, but I would rather you send me an email about that mm-hmm. because the you know I have to play in this world of like. So if you book say reviews. if you want to say something critical, yeah, email, email me Kathy <laughs> If you love the book, go ahead and do an Amazon That's review. That's kind of what I was saying, and I I wish the it wasn't like that. Everybody, I wish there was more of a you know, component of having a little more freedom, but mm-hmm. it's such a, it's just like podcasts. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. These reviews and everything, they kind of hold us hostage, don't they? They do. They do. Sadly, I'm not, well, thankfully I'm not in that world, but you are. So I'm kind of yeah. in it through you. So, um, so here's the opportunity for you and I to share. So we've been talking about life experiences, life patterns. And when I first read yours and parenting moment, um, I'm going to share one thing that I've kind of let go of okay. in my life. I just want to read uh, what you wrote in that. Um, As adults, we take on responsibility of recognizing these patterns and deciding what stays and what goes. It's all about honoring the memories and traditions that mean something to us while also letting go of what no longer works. So here's the first thing I thought of when I read that. Okay. Um, I have these wonderful college friends, and it's crazy to think that I've been out of college for almost 30 years, but it's the truth. And I don't know, about 10 years ago, uh, uh, most of my 20s and 30s post-college were getting together with these guys a lot and going out and going on trips with them. And I realized that I ended up being really exhausted at the end of these trips because all we did was gamble and drink and is blah, 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 blah. And I decided um, at one point to let go of that version of myself, not completely, but for the most part. What I mean by that is I still see these friends Mm -hmm. from all over the country about once a year. And that's what I've kind of decided. And, you know, if they are listening, which they probably don't because they're really not into this version of Todd. (laughs) Uh, But if they're listening, I love each one of these men, but I only want to give them one weekend a year to, to, to invest in the relationship as they want it because they want to keep 
playing as if we're 22 years old. Well, and that's what I was going to say. It's really not about that. No. What it's about is you are like, I can do this version Mm -hmm. about this much. Mm -hmm. And so it's not about if, you know... I'm, they're, they're only going to get this much of me. It's just like this version of, of going out, I can do it this much because I have to give so much energy to my wife and to my children and to my extended family and to my work. And so I can only do this this much. Well, and it's not just about alcohol. It's also, it's followed with, um, like, once again, I love these guys, but the conversations aren't that deep. Mm-hmm. It's more sports and talking about how drunk we used to get. And it's... That's great. I'm going to do it once a year. And yeah. then the rest of the weekends of my year, I'm going to spend doing other things. Um, and I still communicate with these guys. It's just, and I think there's a lot of guys that are listening to me say this, can, I think they can relate to it because they, yeah. they, a lot of these weekends, like, let's just jump in a time machine and pretend it's 1994 again. Yeah. And okay. Once a year, you got me. But other than that, I'm out. And they may feel similarly. Yeah. You know, so that's one thing that I'm sharing that I have kind of let go of that version of me that would show up constantly and organize. I used to organize all the weekends like I let them organize it now. Like if you guys want to do it, you know, email me, but I'm not going to initiate it. So that's another thing. So that's like a life pattern that shifted for you. Yeah. You know, I kind of think about it in terms of like we're talking about history. A lot of that is from it. Definitely our friendships, but also our family um, of origin. You know, I've said on this show, there's a lot of things that I have let go of, Um, you know, simple things like, you know, that, you know, things that my dad told me that were the best things to do. And he wasn't wrong, you know, buy a white car. It makes the most sense. Um, And I did that my whole life. And then Todd is like, do you really have to do that? And I haven't bought one since. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that he was wrong. I just shifted a pattern. I'm like, I do. Or, you know, my mom used to say things like, um, you know, the either clear nail polish or red nail polish. And that's that's the only things that are good. And I now do blue and I do green and I do all these things. And it's not about it's not to spite anybody. It's just questioning, does this pattern work for me? And I'm giving very benign things, by the way. These are not like big life changes. But they're, it's, it's these little things that show up when you, you know, sometimes we have ingrained belief systems that we've never questioned. Yeah. And a lot of times we go out in the world and we'll say, well, this is what you have to do with kids. Or this is, you know, you can't wear white because it's only this day. It's this, you know, it's not summer yet. You mm-hmm. can't do that. Or, you know, you can't talk about religion. You can't talk about money. You can't. And it's like, is that true? Mm-hmm. Or is that part of your life pattern? And maybe you will investigate it and decide that it is still a pattern you want to keep because you always have permission to do that. But a lot of times we don't even question. We just think it is. Mm-hmm. And I think it's our life. Exp- I think for the, you know, I get kind of deep about this, for the joy of your own life, because you came into the world, um, into the family that you're in, or into the, you know, this country that you're in, your state, your city, and you came in and learned a lot of things, right? And and that's was part of your beginning. But as we continue to evolve through each decade, we have so many more opportunities to learn so much more about ourselves. Like, do I really want to do this? Like, and even things that we, you know, there's so many things that, before I would have been like, 
oh, that's just not something I do where it's like, well, why not? Mm-hmm. Like wh- where did, and and I know where I learned it wasn't sp- something I was supposed to do as part of my culture or part of my high school or whatever. But now I have permission to question that, mm-hmm. you know, now I'm a grown up adult. It's, you know, it's, it's the fun of being our age as we get to say, what do I want to do? Mm-hmm. And do I believe that? And do, you know, can I, can I, do can I can I be myself in in whatever fullness that means? And can I know that I can change that too? You're not then I, I there's no endings to this. Well, and I thought of a different uh pattern of mine that I've kind of like go, but it's been decades probably since I've done this. Or maybe you'd be like, no, Todd, you still do it. I used to like call my siblings to remind them to call my dad or my mom or my grandma on their birthday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I would rescue them quite yeah. often from and I'm sure it was through dialogue with you, like, why are you doing all this? Like, just let them fail. And that's in once again, that's not a super huge, impactful example. But um, when you get used to doing something, it's hard to break habits. And I used to ever since I was a little kid, I was 10 years old. I'd be like, oh, make sure you um, get mom a, bir- a Mother's Day gift or something like that. And even like with, uh, with our kids, you know, on mother's day, I don't say, Hey, get something for mom. Like it's up to them to get something for mom. So anyways. Yeah. And you know, you just said that, um, that when you were doing that with your siblings that I was like, let them fail. That's actually not what I said at no. all. What I said is don't be annoying to them. <laughs> like, why would you want to have that relationship with mm-hmm. them where you are dictating to them what they should do? Yeah. If they do fail, whatever that means. I didn't even give them a chance to that's, fail. That's what I mean. Like, I, I was not about like, it, it wasn't like, well, you're the good one and mm-hmm. let them fail. It was more like you are creating a relationship with your siblings that is not great. Yeah. Because... Why do you think it's your job to to tell them what to do? Mm-hmm. Allow them to have the experience. And if they happen to drop the ball, that's their experience. Right. That has nothing to do with you. But I think that's a great life pattern to discuss because I think you found in your childhood that you needed to cover all those bases to keep everyone safe. Yes. That you were like, if someone drops the ball on this, we're going to have disharmony in our family. Right. So I need to make sure everybody stays on task True. or else I'm going to have disharmony. Yeah. Now you're an adult and... And if there is disharmony, you can separate from it, yeah. you know? Right. And so a lot of times... Or we, use the disharmony as a opportunity to reconnect even right. stronger. Right. So. Yeah. it's And I think that's kind of the, you know, and, and this is in friendships too. Like one thing I've really learned in my adult friendships is... I was very conflict averse growing up because I learned to be conflict averse. And I also found that being, I've got to be honest, being conflict averse really served me in high school and in middle school, especially in middle school. Like I learned how to be a chameleon and negotiate conversations and to not ever be the villain and to always be on everyone's side. And it helped, right? It helped. What I found though, getting older is that being a chameleon means you're nowhere. Yeah. It means I had no, I, I was nobody. I was everybody. There's a great line about, um, in Cardigan by Taylor Swift, like a friend to all is a friend to none. Mm-hmm. Like if you, if you are doing everything, making sure everybody feels good, then you have no place. You have no grounding. And, and so what I had to learn is when I was first kind of sorting through this in my thirties and forties is it didn't mean I did it wrong when I was younger, I did it because it worked. 
And then as I got older, not having any conflict or never having an opinion made me feel less about myself. So I had to question that pattern. And now I'm very, uh, when I say I'm very good at conflict, I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of saying to someone, you hurt my feelings. I'm not afraid of saying to someone, I don't agree with you. And I'm not afraid of saying to someone, you know, you drop the ball. And and vice versa, I'm not afraid to say, I drop the ball. How about a little T-swizzle, sweetie? Okay. Okay. Play this at the, uh, she concert. sure did. This is part of the um, the, the trilogy. This is Betty James and um, August. That's right. Good old August. I don't yeah. pretend to understand. All that so stuff. that is Betty's song mm-hmm. about James cheating on her with August. There you and go. then so anyway. But you guys didn't know you're going to get some T Swizzle lyrics interpretation. But the best of the three. Mm-hmm. Well, gosh, that's hard. Cardigan is my least favorite of the three. Um, my favorite, I think, between Betty and August. You like Betty, right? Do you know these songs? I have heard them a million times, but I wouldn't be able to hum any of the three without your help. Well, I think you would like Betty, the song Betty. It's called Betty, but it's by James. Okay. Um, I'm probably confusing everybody. Everybody's like, what are you Uh, talking talking about? about? It's on Taylor's album, Folklore. She decided to, instead of write about her own life, she created fictional characters and wrote about their lives. So there's this... These three songs that she wrote, one is called Betty, one is called August, one is called Cardigan. So this song is James's song. He cheated on Betty. He mm-hmm. feels awful about it. Bummer. And he's trying to apologize. Mm-hmm. And he's, as you hear, he's only 17 years old. And he, you know. He's, What's the third song? Um, it's called August. And it's beautiful. It's and probably the most beautiful one. And who's that? Well, she, she never says that her name is August. It possibly is Augustine. Mm-hmm. Like she's playing with it because she's talking about the month of August. But I think her fans just call her August or... That's it's a really beautiful one, and it and we've obviously been to her her concert twice this summer, and that is a really beautiful. She's wearing the really flowy outfit. Mm. It's just really a beautiful song. But anyway, August is the girl. If we're going to call her that, she's the one who is with James, the the girl that that cheats with James. Yeah, you know, and she, the whole song August is about how she she's young too, and she was just fine with being in the moment with him. Yeah. She wanted to be with him, but she's like she knew his heart was somewhere else. But she was just hoping that they could be together, and so it's just a young story. Are you ready to pivot? Yes, from one let's thing do it to another. I'm about let's to play it. another song that's going to intro why we're doing this. Okay. Like this. Like this. 
Kelsey, why am I playing Express Yourself? That's Madonna. And you have a hot take about Madonna. What are we doing on Sunday night? Okay, so I have a few hot takes about Madonna. I'm going to get really into this. So my children obviously are, you know, Taylor Swift is their girl. She's been their girl their whole lives. That's that's fine. They also, like me, love Lady Gaga. I'm a huge Lady Gaga fan, seen her in concert three times. My whole family loves her, and she's so super talented. The thing that I've always said to my girls, though, is me being an 80s kid, I grew up with Madonna. And without Madonna, there would be none of these people. Now, maybe there'd be a different rendition and, you know, who knows how it could have been. But Madonna broke all the ceilings. You know, she was the one who started talking about sexuality, religion. She was supportive of the LGBTQ community. She was an outspoken woman. She was, she, she pushed all the boundaries. I, so Madonna is, is another one. I mean, along with Taylor and Lady Gaga, I'm not giving anybody up here, but Madonna is very important to me because she's a big part of my history. So on my my birthday, this so the thing that Todd and I do is when we, on our birthday, we get to like choose what we're going to do as a family. And Todd tends to like to play games. And I tend to like to choose a movie. When my girls were little or younger, Todd and I could like bring in all these 80s movies and they'd be into it. And now they're just Tougher not. Tougher sell nowadays. So now I have to use my birthday. So on my birthday, we are going to watch Truth or Dare, Madonna's documentary, which I want to start by saying... Now we're so used to reality TV and we're so used to documentaries about Revealing unfiltered documentaries. Right. Like this is their real life. This is behind the scenes. Nobody was doing that. Madonna was the first person who did that. Everybody was protecting their image. They were. And now you can say, well, the real world had begun. But it hadn't actually yet. The real world hadn't begun. Like maybe there was something reality-based and you can totally fact check me on this. What do the 30-year-old parents think right now about they, they may not even know what the real world is. I know. Well, it, the real world was a reality show that was on MTV, and there was many iterations of it in different cities. Okay. Just want to make sure. And it was just supposed to be kind of like unfiltered, but really it became everyone in a hot tub having sex. Like mm. it it all, it started one way and so became something else. I think you just pivoted else. over to The Bachelor. And that's okay. basically what happened with The Bachelor. The Bachelor was supposed to be, you know, it was more typical looking people, and now everybody's... But not the new bachelor. Gorgeous. And the the new bachelor is going to be 72, everybody. That's crazy. The senior bachelor. Anyway, going back to Madonna, she's very important to me for all those things, you know, just like Pat Benatar and the Go-Go's and all those, those women are. But the thing about Madonna where she gets a lot of crap is that she's not necessarily the nicest person in the world, okay? Um and and people say that people that have worked with her i have obviously never met her i've seen her in concert but i've never like met madonna but people have been like she's she's pretty tough and she's not very kind and she's you know tough to work with tough to work with where the stories we hear about taylor and lady gaga they're all just really super kind people and in in a way i'm very protective of her about that i said to todd in the car she's kind of like the hillary clinton of her time you know like people don't like hillary clinton because she busted through all these glass ceilings and everyone's like, but she's this way and she's not a nice person and she wore power suits and why'd she have to do that? And why couldn't she be more feminine and why couldn't she be more nice and why couldn't she do it differently? And how, mm-hmm. right? Like if you, she would have been nice, we wouldn't be talking about Madonna. Absolutely. Like she had to be and interact with people in a way to do what she did. Mm-hmm. And and even when I say she's not nice, I mean, she is a mother of five children, I think now. She has built a school in Malawi. Like she has, 
um, she, it's not that she isn't a generous person. It's just that people talk about she's just not the friendliest, you know? And I know people are making fun of her plastic surgery and the way she looks now. And I'm always just a little, I, I, I tense up a little when people rip on her because while I understand, I also think we wouldn't be where we are. I know we wouldn't be where we are without her. Mm -hmm. And so why I want to show my girls that movie is first of all, because it was it was a new experience. Like we were not seeing people behind the scenes and I want them to see what she was like on stage because I don't think they have an appreciation of Madonna at her height. I think they know material girl and I think they know like a vert or like a prayer. And, and I think they, they know that their mom appreciates her because mm -hmm. I talk about her a lot, but I want them to see who this person was and how influential she was. I just said to Skylar last night, we were talking about this last night. And she was in Skylar Loves Theater. So she started singing um, Don't Cry For Me, Argentina. And I said, you know, Madonna played Evita in the movie. And she's like, no way. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah. And she won a Golden Globe. <laughs> like she had to learn how to sing in a different way to play Evita. It's very kind of Lady Gaga-esque, right? Lady Gaga has never had to learn how to sing. She's always been amazing. But Madonna had to kind of transform and, and like, you know, learn how to sing in a different way. Because she actually, when she was a, per, a performer, she actually started as a dancer and then incorporated singing. She was at the clubs. It was a, She has a totally different, you know, beginning story. And she had to really kind of learn how to be a musician. Um, so anyway, I just, my hot take was just that she's kind of like Hillary Clinton. Everybody loves to hate her, but we wouldn't be where we are without her. Boom. Um <laughs> So my hot take is a little bit less, uh, maybe impactful, more um, impactful than Madonna. Um, well, and it's going to be shorter. Okay. I just have to say that the, um, the angels major league baseball player Otani. Okay. Yeah. Is going to be the best player ever to play the game of major league baseball. That's your hot take? That's my hot take. And it's really not that hot of a take because it seems like it's more and more obvious. He is uh, on pace to um, be a uh, – I don't know how many home runs right now he's on pace to do. But he. for those of you guys who don't know, um, he plays both um, – he's a wonderful hitter and he's one of the best pitchers in the major league. So, like, we haven't seen anything like this from Babe Ruth. And I just feel like – most of the people... What do you mean by that? We haven't seen anyone like this since Babe Ruth? Since Babe, okay. Babe Ruth. Got I it. don't know what I just said. So I just think I'm just so um, lucky to be able to say that I'm around when this young man, he's 28 years old right now. I thought he was younger, but he's 28. It's If you know nothing about baseball, my guess is you'll probably be like, who's this guy again? Pay attention because we're in the midst of seeing something historical because he is one of the best pitchers in the league and he's one of the best hitters in the league. And we've never, I, I've been looking at baseball since I was a little kid, since the 1970s mm. and nobody's come anything close to this. And anybody who is a sports fan knows all about this. But for those of you who pay no attention, um, just, just keep an eye on the angels games. Well, he might not be in the angle. Angels might long much longer. He, they might trade him because he's going to warrant a contract of $600 million or so. Jeez. Um, so anyways, I just, I just wanted to give a shout out to this, um, I think he's from J Japan, this Japanese player who is just an amazing, <clears throat> excuse me, incredible 
baseball player. So who before him would you have called the best baseball player of all time? Um, well, the people in the argument, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, A-Rod, Babe Ruth, Willie Mays. Cheater? Uh, uh, no, no, not cheater. No? No. Okay, this is so weird. I feel like every time I've said A-Rod, you're like, no, he's not respected. Just statistically speaking, I mean, A-Rod. But in Derek Jeter? Isn't he, he's like a huge He was wonderful, but he's not he no. No. I love Jeter. I love Jeter a lot more than I love A-Rod, but Well then why does everybody love him so much if he didn't A-Rod's have Because A-Rod's kind stats. of a jerk and Jeter was a play he he was loved and he he did things for the right reasons mm. and he was a team player, but statistically speaking, A-Rod buries Jeter. Okay. So, I didn't know that. But A-Rod was also Taking the steroids. steroids. That's right. So is it a fair comparison? That's true. That's a good point. Um, I part of, so you said. Some, what about Cal Ripken? You used to always talk about Cal Ripken. I love Cal Ripken. Um, one of the better shortstop ever to play, and he has the record for most consecutive games played. Um, but and he, doesn't his son play? Uh, or did I make that up? His brother Billy used to play. Did his dad play? Um, I think his dad may have been a coach. Okay. Uh, but anyways. Um, I was also thinking about maybe um, as we start to close the show, Uh you sent something on our group text that Lisa Damore shared. Yeah. And I thought it might be I sent it to the girls. I thought it might be. Oh, and then the other idea I had, I had a few ideas. And I don't know if we're going to do that. Throw them out. The one is the Lisa Damore thing. So I'm just going to read what you sent. Okay. Um, When teens say that a girl is popular, they're usually saying that she's powerful. And when she's powerful, it's usually because she's willing to be mean and everyone knows it. If your daughter mentions that a girl is popular, ask if she is she popular or just powerful. Do kids like her or are they scared of her? Give your daughter a good reason to take popularity off of its pedestal. This can be true for boys, by the way, of too. Of course. I obviously took that as a direct quote. You know, it was like a meme and I sent it to the girls because I think it's an interesting conversation about that word. Mm-hmm. I've always really struggled with... Uh, no, nah, it's not true. It's not. I haven't always struggled with it. But sometimes the word means different things to different people. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be popular? Like, is it... And, and let's take it even out of high school. Why is someone popular? Is it because nobody wants to... You know, I know a certain uh, Republican nominee right now who people would call popular, but is it because this is a good person mm-hmm. or is it because everybody's scared of this person? Almost it's a, it's an invitation to be like, let's break down that yeah. word. What does that word mean? And is, I think it means they have the most social collateral. Yeah. And why do they have the most social collateral? Is it because they have kindness and mm-hmm. because they they bring people into their group and because they're, you know, they're basically they're a Ferris Bueller they're, and that's a made up fictional character, by the way. But, you know, you're nice to everybody and so people really like you. Or is it because people are terrified of you mm-hmm. and they don't want to cross you so you have social collateral because people will not mess with you? Mm-hmm. And that can be because you're like a – you have a lot of power in your, you know, in the theater or in your sport or just you're a big person, you know, like you can beat people up, you know. Um, and so it just, you know, it just depends. Like sometimes there are girls you don't want to mess with because you know they'll talk about you. And you don't want, that can be a really simple thing. Like, I don't even want to mess with this person because then they're just going to say all these things and it becomes an issue or they'll post something online or they'll say something unkind under my pictures. Like, it's just kind of an interesting, I like Todd said, um, it's just an interesting conversation that doesn't have a final answer to it. Um, I'm going to bring one other pop culturing reference in here. Okay. And I think it kind of belongs in it. Hopefully the audio quality is better. It's from the movie A Bronx Tale. Okay. And the younger C, 
his name is C, mm-hmm. is with um, the main gangster guy. Okay. Uh, do you remember what his name was? It doesn't matter. Um, but it's a it's a talk about whether it's more important to be feared or loved. Oh, which I think is, and this is connected to his dad too, right? Um, Robert De Niro character because he's a yes, good man. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So uh, nobody cares. Nobody cares. Worry about yourself, your family, the people that are important. Post everything. Because being on the spot, I can see trouble immediately. Trouble is like a cancer. You gotta get it early. If you don't get it early, it gets too big, then it kills you. That's why you gotta cut it out. Tabish? Huh? Come on. You worried about Louis Dumps. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Worry about yourself, your family, the people that are important to you. That's what it comes down to. Availability. The people in this neighborhood that see me every day that are on my side, they feel safe because they know I'm close. And that gives them more reason to love me. But the people that want to do otherwise, they think twice because they know I'm close. And that gives them more reason to fear me. Is it better to be loved or feared? That's a good question. It's nice to be both, but it's very difficult. But if I had my choice, I would rather be feared. Fear lasts longer than love. Friendships that are bought with money mean nothing. You see how it is around here. I make a joke, everybody laughs. I know I'm funny, but I'm not that funny. (laughs) It's fear that keeps them loyal to me. But the trick is not to be hated. That's why I treat my men good, but not too good. I give them too much, then they don't need me. I give them just enough where they need me, but they don't hate me. Don't forget what I'm telling you. How do you think that relates to the popularity discussion? I think it's interesting. I think there's a lot of truth in that. I don't think that I want to live that way. I don't think, but I think in the conditions that in a Bronx tale of what's going on in that neighborhood, I think that makes sense for that person. Mm-hmm. I think that he is, I think that's often how the mob you know, and again, I don't know if this is true historically, but the way the media presents the mob, that's exactly what they do. Yeah. Right. They are feared. Um, but they also treat the community that they live in very well. They pay people off. They um, take care of people when they need it. But they also are then like, you owe me mm-hmm. <laughs> and you will be accountable to me. So there's like a lot of trading of love and fear. Um, obviously, that is not healthy. I wouldn't call that a healthy no. environment. I'd call that really, I think, when you inject fear into anything, that's the overwhelming emotion. Like, just let's just talk about parenting. If you take fear and you inject it into the relationship with your kid, your kid may have a good time with you occasionally. They may laugh with you and, and you may have some connections and they may talk to you occasionally. But if there's fear in the relationship, that's the overriding factor. And that will keep it from ever being a really cohesive relationship. So I think that's a very... That's a movie yeah. dialogue. I don't think we want to live that way, but I think for some that makes sense. It's a great, uh, it's a great movie. the The kid in that movie, his name is Lillo L I L L O Brancato. Okay. Okay. And I heard these terrible stories about him. Like, and he was charged with secondary second degree murder. Did you know that? Mm-mm. And he got sentenced to ten years in prison. And he almost overdosed a few times. He had some substance abuse things, but at the very and this is on Wikipedia, so I don't know if it's true, but as of 2020, he claimed to be 13 years sober and has returned to acting. Oh, 
that's wonderful. What was his name in that movie? Kala, Kala, Kalogino. Kalogino. Yeah. I always like to say that name, Kalogino. Yeah. That's why they call him C. Yes. And he was in some stuff in 2021, so maybe he's making a comeback. That's, so. a, that's a great story. The only other thing I had, um, and maybe this will be the last thing that we talk about, you and I had a conversation the other day, and we were at breakfast with some friends, and the mom was talking to you and the and the about her daughter, but she wasn't uh, she wasn't acknowledging. Her oh daughter. yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking and, about. And I know that this is a little bit uh, you get uh, sensitive to this. Yeah, um, so let me explain so you understand. The mom, the daughter was there with us, and the mom was telling me a story about that daughter, and the daughter was sitting there listening to it, but the mom was talking as if the daughter wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And so now go on. Well, I, I just, I think it's an interesting exploration of why do you think that this is not harmful like times 10, but why do you think that this is a withdrawal in the relationship when you're talking in front of your children about your children without acknowledging that your children are there, like, or maybe not bringing them in because this has happened a few times and I think it is, I think it's an interesting point that we've never talked about. Yeah. I think, I, I think I always feel, I sometimes get in those situations in, in therapy. This was more of a conversational thing, but in therapeutic situations where you're working with a family that a lot of times the parents will talk to you about their kid and their kids right there, but they're like not acknowledging them. And I think that it is, there's a lot of things that can be happening. Number one, I often notice that the kid doesn't re- isn't really having big responses because they're actually very used to this. Mm. They're very used to being talked about without acknowledging that they're there. So this is not that weird to them. Mm-hmm. But I also think it the child then it, they're they're they don't to in my experience they don't feel seen. Yeah. They they feel like there's something to handle or they're a problem to solve, but they are not part of the solution. They are just the issue. Well, let me bring in a little bit more like I, I you used to call me out on this too and it would be like uh, in my birth family like I was the golden child. I was the one that wasn't screwed that didn't screw up. Shane and John sometimes screwed up. Todd always got the good grades, blah blah blah, and that became my identity, mm-hmm. right? And I think that there is and, and I'm, I'm taking a leap from where we started to where we are now, is the idea that we're summing up our children in a word. Mm-hmm. And um, I have a niece, one of my favorite people in the whole world. Her name is Maddie. And there was a time when she was going... she, she Going lost through her, puberty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She lost her balance a lot. And I'd be like, oh, well, she's the, she's the clumsy one. Mm-hmm. And you're like, Todd, it's probably not the best thing. And whatever, whenever we label anybody and and sum them up in a word it's unless the word is loving it's it's probably not the best idea yeah you know what i mean well i just think with any i think the thing with kids is just think about them just like anybody else just like adults in your life and maybe some people like i talk to adults this way too but I can't imagine being in a group of friends and me talking to a friend across the table about my other friend yeah, that's there. Right, that's a good one. And just saying like, oh, this friend, they really, really cause a problem. And they and that friend is right there listening. And I think that and having to like sit there through it. And I think that we some and it's OK. I just 
I guess the, you know, so someone say, well, what would you do instead? I would engage them. Mm -hmm. Here's the experience. I, you know, if, if my friend wanted to tell me this story, at brunch and they wanted to tell it about their kid, I would start by saying, I want to tell this story that involves you, you know, the, the one where you were really struggling. Do you feel comfortable with me telling that story? And even giving the kid, you know, is it okay if we engage in this conversation? And a lot of times the kid will be like, okay, sure. And then saying, well, this is how I experienced it. Did you experience it this way too? Or what was your experience? So you're telling the story together. Mm-hmm. And then that kid feels like they have a voice and that you're getting the full story because as the parent, we know our experience with it. Our version of that story through our lens. But let's get it from the horse's mouth. Yeah. Like there, let's get it from both of our mouths. Mm -hmm. Let's, here's how I'm experiencing it. Here's how you're experiencing it. And let's talk about it so we can resolve it versus I'm going to talk about my kid right in front of them. And not like engage them in the conversation. And what I find interesting though is because like you said, this happens a lot in my line of work is that the kid is just kind of sitting there because I think they're just used to it. Yeah. And But I don't think that's a good relationship builder. Well, I think there's a dismissiveness to it. For sure. Right? For sure. And we're not, and this is the thing, you know, parents who are listening to this who are like, oh, I do that. I don't think you're trying to harm. Yeah. I don't think that you're like being awful. I think you're probably doing what you think is typical the way that we talk about kids, even when they're around you're, you're engaging in normal conversation. And this is just kind of a, a new way of looking at it. Like they're listening to you and they're listening to you talk about them. And they're most of the time, if you're having the conversation, it's about a struggle. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes parents are bragging about their kids. Can you believe how amazing they are? And that has its own challenges because you were just talking about being the golden child that has its own challenges because it also kept you from, saying what you needed or engaging in conflict or, you know, made you uncomfortable with failure. Yeah. So that has its own problems. I just think that, you know, they are just as human and, and their way that they feel about themselves as others is just as heightened as yours. I think the best thing that you said is like, this is uh, like, it's a litmus test. If you would talk about your friend, the way you talk about your son or your daughter, uh, with them sitting there, with them listening? sitting there, yeah. then um, it's just an interesting way to see if it's something that you would do. Mm-hmm. Like, just try to think: oh, Would I talk about my buddy without bringing my buddy in the conversation <laughs> of his experience? Probably right. not. Um, so there's something there. It's like a power dynamic. Yeah, it's a power dynamic. And it's a very parental, like, I think this is so common. I yeah. think a lot of people listening would be like, oh, my parents used to do that all the time. Yeah. They talk about me in front of me all the time. And, and, and this goes back to life patterns, right? How'd that work for you? Yeah. Because if it didn't work that great, or if you kind of felt smaller or dismissed, maybe don't do that. And, and it doesn't mean you can't talk about things. It means either do it when it's just you and your friend, where you can feel free to just go into your feelings or bring your kid into the conversation. Like there are plenty of times that I will say, most of the time I have a vibe whether or not my girls are okay with me sharing something. But occasionally I've been like, can I share that story about what happened this morning? And my girls would be like, no, you can't. So I'm like, okay, I'm done. You know, like making sure that we are sharing things that they feel comfortable with. Now, if I'm struggling, maybe I go out with my friend and I talk about it on my own time. Well, public service announcement, and this is something you're super good at. I don't do it because I'm not on social media the way you are, but you ask every single time if you can post something that has their image in it. Yes, for sure. 
Um, and, and I know you're like, well, duh, I do that all the time. Yeah. But there's a lot of parents out there that don't. Yeah. Yeah. And they've, you know, not only have I done that as a practice where I think that's important too, my girls have been clear, like, I don't feel comfortable with that picture or, you know, I don't really want to engage with other people that we were at this place Mm -hmm. or, you know, it's not about keeping secrets. It's just like, once you put something out there, then there's a whole story that has to go with it. You know what I mean? Like, why were you there? What were you doing? Who'd you see? Like, and sometimes they just, that's not, that was just time with their family and they don't want a big post about it. So, um, in closing, Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to remind everybody to check out team Zen and also to remind everybody to write a review for Kathy's book. If you've read it, if you haven't read it, then just go ahead and buy the book. Yeah. The link is If you've read it and you loved it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and, and you can do that for the podcast too. Um, you know, writing a review, you were saying that that's not that big of a deal. It's like a misnomer. Like reviews do not equate to exposure or algorithms. Are you sure? That's what the podcast experts have told me. I just, it's, it's hard for me to believe that. I still say leave a review. Well, put it this way. I think it would help, like, I don't know how many reviews we have, but quite a few. 600. I, yeah, we have like 600. I'm not saying it's not helpful, but it's helpful to the people that are doing a search, looking us up, looking at the reviews. Yes. But I think from an algorithmic standpoint, I have been told it's not any more likely to show up in somebody's feed or, hey, you might like this too. So maybe it's more like if you are listening to the show, make sure you're following us because that's really helpful. You know, following the show is really helpful. So thank you for listening. And And if um, there's any YouTubers out there, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is all in the show notes. So all these resources are out in the show notes. So Um, anything else, babe? That's it. Keep striking, everybody. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have appreciated or enjoyed a decade of Zen Parenting Radio podcasts, please tell a friend or leave a five-star review. We are grateful for your support. If you want more Zen Parenting, consider joining Team Zen Circle, our very own app that includes our virtual community, exclusive content, and support from us. You could also purchase Kathy's award-winning book, Zen Parenting, Caring for Ourselves and Our Children in an Unpredictable World or subscribe to Zen Parenting Moment. You can find these opportunities and more at zenparentingradio.com slash resources. And if you want to connect through social networking, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Keep trucking, and we'll talk to you again next week.